it, it really comes down to politics. And so w when you're developing in a, in a place like Northern California, um, you know, we like to think, you know, it's like we've been there a long time, so we understand the politics. That's one of our, we would call it like a competitive advantage, you know, in terms of we can, you know, we know how to get that stuff approved in California. But, but um, it, it really just comes down to expertise of understanding how to talk to the city and talk to those council members and talk to those planning commission members and, and really working with them. When people say, you know, why aren't you investing? Why don't you invest in California? Um, the reason is because of what you just said. I don't understand it. And although I see the magnitude, I see the potential, I see the money that's made uh, right in California, I also am so self-aware that saying I grew up in an area that the process and the political, it's so different that I would be not only at a disadvantage, I would actually probably get in trouble. Hey guys, what is going on? My name is Yen and welcome to Self Storage Income. Today we have a special guest here on the podcast, Ryan Lorenzini. Him and his dad help run the Claremont Companies, which is a family business specializing in real estate development and building, and they have been building and developing self-storage facilities for the last 10 years. So Ryan has some fantastic insights into the world of development in self-storage. It was so great to have Ryan here in our studio, and the conversation was just so good, guys. I'm, I'm not even kidding. So we're going to split this episode up into two parts. This episode is going to be part one with Ryan Lorenzini, and we're going to be talking about the competitive advantage that you might have in one self-storage market over another, how to develop in other markets that you're maybe not so familiar with, how do you determine what's oversupplied and undersupplied, and then how do you ultimately align that with your goals as a business or an investor. This is going to be such a great episode, guys. I'm so excited. Let's jump right in. If you're looking to develop or build a self-storage facility, whether that's a brand new facility or maybe you want to expand, Forge Building Company is going to be a phenomenal partner for you guys to check out and potentially partner with. They specialize in working with investors and developers, whether you're new or you're seasoned in the self-storage industry. If you're not using someone like Forge Building Company to come in and value engineer that storage facility for you, you're going to end up spending a ton more money than you need to be. You want to keep those costs low when you're developing. You want to control those costs, and that means you need to work with the experts. Forge Building Company is that expert. Link is in the show notes. Check them out. Maybe you're buying your first facility. Maybe you're a seasoned veteran, whatever that might be. You're going to need property management software, and that's where Tenant Inc. comes in. They are going to be your solution, the top solution in the self-storage industry. I'm telling you guys, this technology has been developed by self-storage owners and operators just like us, just like us here at Self Storage Income, who have had a say in how this technology has been built, have played a huge part in it, and it is one of the most robust and usable and actionable and valuable tools in regards to property management that you could ever utilize or find in the technology realm and all things self-storage. So, be sure check out Tenant Inc. Link is in the show notes. Dude, I'm stoked to have you up here. It's a lot funner for me and Connor when uh, we actually get to have you in the studio as opposed to Zoom. Uh, man, I've been on more Zooms, and I think in the last two years, it's like totally burnout. I'm done. I'm done with Zoom. That's right. I'd, I'd, I'd rather I'd rather jump on a plane and come out and see you. Honestly, that's right. and that's why. Glad we had a chance to talk at the CSSA event and say, hey, why don't you come out to uh, our office? And I was 
Like, absolutely. Why would I not want to do that? You know, it's funny, too, because we, we see each other at, obviously, events, things like that. Um, and we were just kind of talking about this, but I felt like there was a huge lag with COVID and being able to network in a real way that you just can't do with obviously Zoom, things like that. So it's been nice now doing a buildup where we're starting to get people that'll actually come out this year. We're starting you know, to see more people actively engaged in the events. We have our event in September, which you're coming to, you because you were at the last one uh, as well, which was awesome. We had a total blast. Absolutely. Yeah, so we're fun. talking about the Coeur d'Alene event last right. year, and we, we got it coming up in September, I believe, and really looking forward to it. The, uh, the CSSA show we were just at in Newport Beach was the, I think it was record attendance. Over, yeah. or of over 400 really? attendees which yeah. was fantastic and it was a great event lots of great speakers lots of great networking it's probably the best not probably it's the best state event out there i i, I mean the the quality of it was i i wasn't going to go to it in fact when i was trying to, i didn't even know what was going on i was just going to the board meeting and uh going to the the, the tenant thing and then everybody's like oh you're gonna stay over i'm like for what Oh, that's right. You, you, you weren't even going to stay. I forgot about that's that. That's right. I wasn't even going to stay. about that. Yeah. You're like, you weren't even going to go, if I remember yes. correctly. That's, that's right. right. And we all said, wait a second, AJ. We got a board meeting. You can, come on. This is, uh, this is the CSSA Newport, Newport Beach uh, Owners Summit. You got to be there. And I would say that, yes, the, the CSSA, they've got the Newport Beach event, probably one of the best. I would, I would say that Napa you know yes. it, it's those two those are, neck, are and neck. neck and neck you know the napa and the newport beach so if you're in california or if you want to come to california and, and you're in the industry you should definitely uh check out one of those two events absolutely yeah i mean i don't even i don't i don't live there i don't own anything there and i still want to go there because their quality is just so good yeah, at absolutely. those two events absolutely um but now well before we dive into this and everything give us a rundown man who are you what do you do oh, why, okay, why are you well. sitting here man Why'd you fly all the way up here? What are are you doing? How'd I end up with these guys, these characters? Come on. I mean, all right. Well, uh, you know, so my name's Ryan Lorenzini, and I'm with a company called the Claremont Companies. And so we are uh, real estate developers, historically home builders. This is a family business, you know, that my dad started back in uh, the mid 80s. And so traditionally home builders. Um, but uh, somewhere along the line there, we built some, some self-storage. And when I got involved in the business roughly 10 years ago, I said, we need to build more storage. And so we really focused on, uh, hey, let's get some storage sites. And uh, so over the course of the last, just call it four or five years, we've built three sites, uh, one in Oakley, California, one in uh, Vacaville, and one in Hercules that just opened. So, so we're really focused on building that portfolio and uh, actively seeking uh, self-storage development sites right now. And it, you know your your sites are beautiful, man. Thank you. Your your new one, it's awesome. Yeah, you guys you. knocked it out of the park. And um, two, you, you know, for most of the country, I don't think they understand what goes into developing in California. So, talk to us about the Hercules site because that's your newest one that just opened up. When did it start? And I, I just want to, you know, this is important, I think, to frame the entire conversation <laughs> when you say sure. development. Yep, yep. Walk through how that one went. <laughs> well, I'll tell you. So the Hercules, just to give you an idea, there's that is the only self-storage in Hercules. And Hercules is a city of, you know, 50, 60,000 people. So that's a pretty good, I mean, that's like a three-mile three radius. That's a good number, right? Yeah. You know that. 
It's a yeah. real good number. And I mean, the, the median household income out there is right around 100,000. So we're talking yeah. about good demographics, right? And so we had always known, hey, this is a good city. We're t- this, we want to have a storage here. And, and the site that we built on was not the first that we looked at, actually. There was another site we had looked at previously. Uh, for whatever reason, we couldn't work that one out with the sellers. But this other one, we were able to uh, have a good relationship with the seller. But, you know, it, it took time. And uh, it's uh, the politics. There was nothing zoned for storage out there in Hercules at all. So we, we, we had a pretty long process of politicking and getting through the planning commission and the city council. Um, it's, it's just to get it, it. It took about four years to get that thing out of the ground. So, I mean, that's that's a long time. Yeah, that is a long <laughs> what did, time. What did that process? I mean, that's a huge process. Yeah, massive undertaking. Yeah. Can I, can you dive into that a little bit and kind of what that process looked like? Well, I some mean, of the hurdles you had to jump through. It's over. It, sure, I mean, it, it's like without getting into too much detail because there's a lot of details. But I mean, it, it's it's it, it really comes down to politics. And so w- when you're developing in a in a place like Northern California. Um, you know, we like to think, you know, it's like we've been there a long time, so we understand the politics. That's one of our, we would call it like uh, competitive advantage, you know, in terms of we can, you know, we know how to get that stuff approved in California. But but um, it, it really just comes down to expertise of understanding how to talk to the city and talk to those council members and talk to those planning commission members and, and really working with them and getting them on board with your vision, you know. And so, so. Without, I mean, without getting into too much detail, yeah. it's it's just a lot of work and it it takes time and it takes it takes some political expertise. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely. Yeah. All right, listen, this podcast. No, I I like to use California as kind of a butt of the joke, right? Um, why? Because I live in the West and I don't live in California, so that is like a rule, right? If you live in the West <laughs> and you don't live in California, you got to make fun of California. So, um, and if you live in California, you make fun of everyone else. Exactly, <laughs> that's how it works. You're hundred percent. That's right. And then till you leave California and come here, <laughs> but uh, you know, I we we talk a lot, and people are like. Um, a huge amount of our audience is from California because California is ginormous. It is the fourth largest economy in the world. Not not the United States. The world. The world. And I think that a lot of people don't understand just the magnitude of California. And uh, when people say, you know, why aren't you investing? Why don't you invest in California? Um, the reason is because of what you just said. I don't understand it. So me going in that competitive advantage that you talk about, that is so real. And people are like, well, why would you ever go through that, do all that work? You basically own a monopoly. And the value associated and the protection associated with that is astronomical. That is a wealth machine, what you're doing and what you're creating. And although I see the magnitude, I see the potential, I see the money that's made uh, right in California, I also am so self-aware that saying I grew up in an area that the process and the political, it's so different that I would be not only at a disadvantage, I would actually probably get in trouble. I would not understand it. I'd make bad mistakes. I would invest money and I could even lose it, right? Um, and when you're in those areas though, in that market, it is one of the things that I've always been very jealous about storage operators in California was the absolute value creation because the difficulty that you go through, it pays and it pays real. 
Well, I think you're right. I mean, I can't disagree with that. And, and one of the things we love about California in general, and it, obviously everything is market specific, right? I mean, but, yes. but when, when you're talking about really good markets, the Bay Area, uh, the peninsula, I mean, several parts of uh, Southern California as well. Um, it's, it's just so hard to get things done there. And you want to talk about markets that are undersupplied. Well, I can guarantee you right now, or, you know, the, the Bay Area is undersupplied. Yes. I just, it's just a fact. Yeah, it's just, it's just even, a fact. Yeah. It's like, you show me a, a three-acre site in the Bay Area, and if we can put a storage on it, it's going to be a winner. Yes. Provided the land costs aren't ridiculous. Yep. So so um, that's one that's one of the things we love about it. We just we just know that it's going to work. You know? Yeah. I mean, obviously, we're going to do our due diligence, and we're going to do the underwriting and whatnot, but uh, the supply there is, is just so constrained. Uh, and then, you know, you talk about, hey, we're in Idaho right now, right? And so just to, on the other side of the coin, totally I've, I've never developed in Idaho. I, yeah. I, look, I, I love Idaho. I think it's a great place. I, I come out here and hang out with you guys, and I, and I drive around, and I see all these storages, and I, and I look on Radius, and I see all the storage that's planned, and it freaks me out. Yeah, It's shocking. <laughs> yeah. It's like 30 it's, square feet per capita. Yeah, yeah there's a few. It's the highest square foot per yeah, capita, right? In the nation. Is, yep. it, is it really 30? I mean, it, yeah, it's the highest. That's, the state has more square feet per capita than anywhere else in the right. United States. So, so, so to me, I'm, I'm kind of like, well, do I want to try a development I had? No, I'm scared no, of that. Yeah. You know, I'd, I'd rather just acquire something or buy something existing here. But, but, um, but you know, obviously, excuse me, it can be done. You yeah. guys have done it and, and I see people doing it and it looks, you know, it's a high growth state. So obviously you got to take that into account. You know, the, the growth patterns are, are real. Um, but it's, it's just funny to see those two sides of the coin. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. and well, you, know, you hit the nail on the head where you said, you know, market specific. Yes. You know, and we're always pounding this in on the podcast where it really, I mean, you could have a portion of a certain market that's very oversupplied and you could have a portion of the market that's very undersupplied absolutely um, absolutely so yeah i mean you're exactly right connor our 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 big conversion thing we're doing here we so we got out of the market here um man it must have been six years ago we went and we bought a lot up after 2008 because good timing yep yep and um we actually prior to that we were not in our local market so we wouldn't even invest here we were investing out of state and in northern Idaho, which is nine hours away. Um, and we wouldn't come here because of the local market status. While everybody else was, after everybody got slaughtered, everything went half price. We said, okay, now we'll enter into it because that square footage oversupply, it made it so we knew we couldn't handle contractions in the market. And areas like Boise, which are the other side of the coin from California, the market swings here are devastating, right? Look at housing. We're the number one square foot per capita in the United States in self-storage. We're the number one by far overpriced market in the United States in housing. Is that right for yeah. housing? It's somewhere like they, they, they measure it out to be like 35 to 40%, where the next closest one is like 15. It's, you know, the pricing and the swings are just so huge because of the growth, yeah. right? It's that when there's demand, it's overwhelming. But then once that faucet shuts off, meaning California, once the people stop moving out of California, it kills our market. And that's what happened in 2008, right? So 2008, when the housing crash came, the migration from California couldn't come because nobody could sell homes anymore. They couldn't re relocate. And our housing market was, you know, it was in the top three in the nation that was devastated. Our unemployment 
was astronomical. And you look at places like California, storage, housing, it didn't suffer like you know we did here. That's and right. so the strategy is so different. And a lot of people try to look at it one way. Whereas normally with development, our development we're doing here, it's in a pocket that has two square feet per capita. And the only reason we could even do it was because there was specialized, or not specialized, but there was um, a, a special status on the land, which made the city couldn't tell us not to. So it was just this freak thing, right, that we could get and uh, get done. Well, that's local expertise. Yes, local expertise, 100%. exactly, yeah. exactly. Right. And that's a safe so move. That's what us. I'm talking about with this, mm -hmm. the political expertise, you know. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and that's it's a even big deal. Yeah. That's even the case on our other project, our, our new build development going on here locally as well, yep. where there's a lot of things that have happened throughout that development project that if we didn't have uh, those relationships that we have oh. with those municipalities, there'd be no way. Right? No way. There'd be no way that it'd be happening. There'd be no way that our timelines would look like they do. Um, it's it's just the truth of, the, of development. And it's just in all things, yeah. right? Where relationships are everything. Well, and and especially in development. Yeah. And so so I agree with that 100%. So, so when I say that political expertise, that's kind of what I mean. You know, it's yes. just yep, exactly. that familiarity, uh, you know, being involved with with those uh, public officials, those those planning departments, those mm -hmm. city councils, I mean that. I mean that is so important, actually. I mean it really well, is. Well, think about our surprise one. You know that we're telling you about. Why we're there is because our partner in the deal was the congressman of the state, which the airport and the mountain behind is named after him, and he could get things done that we never would have been able to. So that was an opportunity for that development for us which is expedited, like it's like six months, six months to get it like approved, which is bonkers, but uh, that it, we could actually go that fast and everything, but they know so no, the tricks. no zoning there, I can't remember. This is Surprise. Yeah, so Surprise Arizona, uh, Arizona we're yeah. building 250,000 square feet or something yeah. like that, it's, it, it's, it's huge. But they got it in and they worked with the city to say, it's we're utilizing it, it may be storage, but it's utilizing as the same land next to it is being utilized and that was already approved for it meaning rv so next to us they're building rv um uh an rv distribution and sales right um two of them in fact well we have an rv component to the storage so what they did is they worked with the city and said no you don't understand it's the same thing because we service rvs you've approved that so you should be you should make it so we don't need to get it rezoned because it's already approved yeah. and they agreed with it well good i mean and, and they, that's what you got to do. That's what you got to do. That's what you got to do. So um, sometimes it's something that might sound a little, you know, this, uh, hocus pocus, but sometimes that's what you got to do to get it done. It's so true. And the other aspect to this as well is um, I think there's a lot of people out there that think they have to know everything. They have to have all the answers, especially I was kind of talking to you a little bit before the podcast, Ryan, about how a lot of people have this expectation getting into development where they want to have concrete answers, like no pun intended there, but um they, they want to have solid answers, concrete answers. Um, you're not always going to get that in development, but let's say you don't have that expertise in that market. You can always partner with somebody who does, whether that's, you know, like our surprise project, partnering with somebody who's knowledgeable in, you know, those relationships with the cities or that has those already. Um, those partnerships are, are key for us. And whether it's in Nevada or it's in Arizona, we, we have those relationships with people that can go in and work with those cities. We got another project in Nevada, same exact situation. Same exact thing. Where it's, uh, you know, it's zoned a certain type and um, has a certain utilization. 
and we were going to have to rezone. And, you know, as of this week, it's like, hey, actually, we're not going to have to rezone because, you know, we went down, we sat with the city and, you know, our contacts there went down, talked with the city planners, went through, you know, utilization and figured out how exactly it could just, you know, this project could fall under the current usage and zoning that's already there. So we don't have to go through the process. Because so the city so wouldn't let us. They so said no. Yeah. So they said you ask, cannot do it at all. Uh, my question, uh, it's like mm -hmm. not to get into too much detail, but so yeah. who were you partnering with? I mean, who who was it that you were able to partner with? Was it a local developer? Or? So no, this is a this so. is a local attorney <laughs> yeah. that uh, that works very closely with all things development there in the specific city that we're in. So, so who's been attorney. there since? Yeah, oh, he's thirty years. He, he, he like approved yeah. like spots on the strip probably a land use built. attorney right who, mm -hmm. yes yeah so anything all things zoning is running through him and his office i mean he's an expert in it this is another thing we're always talking about on the podcast is finding and working with those experts yeah no matter what it is and so, we pay a premium i, yeah. I think yeah. what we're paying him would be a no starter for the vast majority of all people they would say, you got to be kidding me. Well, I, I'm not I, paying you to do that. I even remember when we first were looking at it in all transparency, being like, you know, we, I mean, we had discussions about it, like, hey, this is, this is quite a bit. Yeah. But again, when you're looking at the stabilized value of that asset at the end of the day, I mean, that's, that's really not. It's, it's not. The, the value that you're extracting and able to get from that asset because the value is we wouldn't do it. Like we couldn't get it done. Literally, otherwise, if it we, wasn't, otherwise we couldn't we're gonna do it. have a deal. Exactly, a hundred percent. You can spare no. I mean, in some ways, you can spare no expense on, on attorneys. I, I'm a big believer in that. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, and in this case, it just happens to be an attorney who was your land use expert who yeah. helped you get an approval. But I mean, absolutely. I mean, we have so many attorneys that we work with all the time. It's so important to get them on board. And you know, we have weekly calls with our attorneys actually. Mm -hmm. You know, on That's all the smart. on all the projects yeah. we're working on, just to make sure we're always in sync with you know making sure you know we're not falling behind. You know, because the timeline's mm -hmm. huge too, right? Yes, exactly. We only have right. So much time. And well, and the attorneys, like you mentioned before, they have specialties. So our in-house attorneys and our outside counsel, we didn't use any of them, even though that's what they do. Why? Because they have no specialties in that market. Now, we went to use the attorney and the special, the guy that has the specialty in the market who's been there for a hundred years and who approved the, all the, you know. hundred years. hundred yeah. years. The <laughs> dude's rocking. The dude's rocking, right? Yeah. And he has these connections that are our attorneys, other attorneys could never get the same thing done. And it's a different game when you're developing as opposed to acquisitions because the start of the development, meaning all these approval processing, it's purely people. It's not square footage. It's not building cost. It's who's going, to, who can we work with and who can get the project done? You got to have some idea of what your finished product is. No, well, you got to understand the product, but that doesn't get it approved or done. That means nothing. That right? means nothing. <laughs> exactly. It could be the best deal in the world, but it doesn't yeah. matter. All right, everybody, if you're going to be going out and buying and purchasing and investing in a self-storage facility yourself or even with partners, you're going to need some money, right? You're going to need some financing. You're going to need funding. Look no further. Go to Live Oak Bank. These guys know self-storage. They're a phenomenal group of people. They do incredible work in the self-storage industry. We've had a plethora of listeners go to Live Oak Bank, get their financing, get educated on self-storage. They're an amazing solution for you guys, all your financing needs and all things self-storage. Again, Live Oak Bank, be sure, check them out.
All right, guys, so whether we're building a storage facility or, you know, we've got a facility that we've owned for however long or we're acquiring a facility that's, you know, 30 years old, whatever that is, we're always looking for ways to increase value, right? We're looking for that value add. One of the best ways to do that is through Janus International. Their R3 program, which is essentially a rehabilitation program for self-storage facilities, <laughs> which is drastically needed in so many cases, right? Because these assets in a lot of cases are very old. They're, they're 20, 30, 40, 50 years old in some cases, whatever that looks like, and they need a major facelift. They need new doors, they need new roofs, they need new siding, they need new gates and technology. Janus International provides those solutions for you. Check out the link in the show notes, bring up that value or storage facility, and get in touch with Janus International. Another key point here is like trust but verify, especially yeah. like when you're looking for these experts in these areas where you could yes. have somebody come to you and say, oh yeah, I got all the expertise in the world and I know these guys and this guy or whatever it is. Um, but in all reality, they're not who they say they are or whatever yeah. the case is. So trust but verify, that's something that we went through the process of. Literally everyone, again, this is down in a city in Nevada, everyone in and around this city, outside the city, our attorney, whoever we talked to, brokers, it didn't matter. Everybody's like, you don't use that guy, it won't that be project's not happening. It's like, just known. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> well, you, you did your homework. Yeah, exactly. You, you did your diligence. You exactly. Found, you, you found the guy. That's the name of the so game. So that's what you have to do. Exactly yeah, right. So it and, sounds like you guys did the right thing. Well, yeah. and it's funny because I look at your process that you went and people are like, four years, that's not worth it. And, you know, you hear people say that, but then whenever we do deals, whether it's like the Reno deal, whether it's our Meridian deal, the Statesman deal, everything else, people are like, oh man, that's what I want to do, right? They're like, that is so incredible. I do it, everything. And it's like, well, but you're the same person that would say, well, I'm not going to do that for three years. Well, of course, then you're not going to get this ginormous windfall because the process that you have to go through is the reason it's successful. The harder the development is to get out of the ground, normally speaking, the more likely it is going to be a rock star. The reason is because nobody else can do it. So supply and demand are such the massive driver. So the fact that you said it took you four years, right, to get it, immediately said, oh, wow, he's got a rock star deal. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I don't even know anything about the market, but I can tell you 99% of everyone would never do that. So you are going to have just a home run on your hands. Well, I appreciate that. And I, I, I do think it is a home run deal, actually. It's, I mean, like I said, it's the only storage in the city. And we got no one within two miles of us. You know, I mean, it's it's pretty crazy. Actually. And a wonderful, and like you yeah. you built it though too. Like how we, you built yeah. it, the looks. Walk us yeah. through that. So how did sure. you decide the build and the look and stuff? Because it's well, a gorgeous facility. I appreciate that. So I mean, this is in this is in California. So so uh, good weather. So I mean, it's it's really I guess what you might call a, a, a more traditional fortress style facility where we have some single story drive ups and then we have a large three story. Um, you know, multi-story building, which is the bulk of the, the square footage, right? But um, lots of drive-ups, weather there's pretty mild, but we did do some climate control. We, we chose to do climate control on the third floor only. Um, and so that three-story building, you, you keep that third uh, floor cool and the rest of the building just stays cool. It's really nice. That is nice. Um, it is very nice. And so we, we one of the things we built that I thought was really cool was we put this uh, enormous loading lobby is what I call it. You know, it's covered. So you can you can back in a truck, a van, uh, and there's this nice sliding door there and it, it opens up right to two elevators. So it's really easy to get to those up floor, upper floor units. And so, you know, 
in California, people still love the drive-ups. I mean, I think they yes. love them. They, they love them everywhere, everywhere, right? I mean, maybe, where are the places they don't love them? I don't yeah. know. Arizona, right. it's too hot, or somewhere where it's snowing. But You know what's so funny about that? What's that? We had a lot of people that were like, um, yeah, you get premiums for climate controlled or not. I argued it and I was like, exactly. I'm like, that's not true because it's a function of supply and demand. But yeah. some of these markets, all they built was climate controlled because they wanted the premium. Yeah. And right now in those markets, drive ups out in 115 degree you weather get, goes for a premium. You get premiums for drive ups. And that's that's been my experience my whole career. I mean, in, in that facility, our drive ups are the highest priced units there are. Then the interior ground floors are the next highest price. People yep. still like the ground floor. Then our climate control on the third floor would be the next tier. And then the second floor, which is, quote, not climate controlled, even though it feels like it is, yeah. would be our, our, our lowest price tier. Um, and so that's the way we have them priced. And believe it or not, you know, it's kind of interesting with that diversity of pricing. People, a lot of times, you know, they come in thinking I want to drive up, but we talk to them and say, hey, well, look at how easy it is to pull into this loading lobby and look at the elevator, the hand carts. And it's cleaner, it's more secure, and, and they're walking out with a 10 by 20 on the second floor. And so, I mean, it's just it's just a matter of educating your customers, I think, a little bit. Yeah. And, and, and having that diversity of, of product as well. Yes. So, so I mean, you know, that's that was, um, it, it really worked out the way we wanted it to, yeah. honestly. Was yeah. the city happy with you? What oh, absolutely. Happy? I mean, we, we had a, we had a, great uh, ribbon cutting ceremony with the Chamber of Commerce and there's a video actually maybe we can link it to this which which, which was like our uh, grand opening video yeah we'll put it in uh, the show notes that'd be awesome uh, but you know we had the mayor there and and members of the city council and um, uh, you know everyone was just so ecstatic you know it was, it was just a really fun event and everyone's everyone at the city is just really excited about it and and, and the customers are are so excited about yeah. it you know we've got the we haven't really talked about this, but we've got the no key, um, you know, access control where yes. you, you use your keyless, phone, yeah. keyless entry. And, you know, I was a little, the first one we had done with this, I know you've done facilities with that, but uh, first one we had tried. So, I, you know, I had a little bit of anxiety about mm -hmm. that. Yep. But uh, believe it or not, you know, uh, the customers really, really enjoy it and, and they appreciate it. And, and if they if they don't have, a, you know, there's that small percentage of people, oh, what about the people without a smartphone, blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah. Well, I, I tell you, my managers have probably set up four or five email addresses now for customers, yeah. you know, and, and yeah. gotten them. It's like, here, this is how you do it. Here's your Apple ID. Here's your Google ID. Now you can download the app. And and, and these people are like, wow, this is great. And yeah. they love it. Yeah. Well, so, so. we had, the, you're exactly right. We funny because a lot of people tell us, we're like, the older people are going to hate it. And we actually found, weird enough, the older people really didn't like having to deal with that lock. It hurt their fingers yeah. as they were trying to get that door slit and everything. So the fact that they, because we, we offered either a fob, right, or mm -hmm. the phone, they could just click and it was automatic. The door came open. They actually liked it the most. <laughs> they were the most happy about it. And that was the number one feedback that we had when we were doing, us and Travis, when we were first doing those two facilities, rolling this technology out. I mean, I was amazed at the self-storage community, how they're like, they were just absolutely, now the older generation, they're never going to, I could never do that at my site because, and this was in Nevada, so lots of sunbirds, right? Um, and we uh, rolled it up. They were the audience that most liked it. I think the um, younger audience that they thought we were attracting to was actually the audience that took it for granted the most. Oh, you don't have it? It was like, 
Okay. You don't yeah. That? You don't have that? Oh, you had that. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Yeah. No, they expect it, right? They expect I mean, it. The, the younger yes. the younger audience expects it. And, they expect it. And I mean, let's let's take it another step. You know, there's the whole concept of kiosks, and we've got what's called the tenant interface, which is a, a store local tenant ink product, and you know that allows people to come into the store and just rent a unit themselves or i mean or your phone your phone is your kiosk right yes i mean hey you can rent a unit right on your phone and sign your rental agreements and verify your identity and get access to your unit no one has to be there and that is just the way i think that's what people expect especially yes. the younger generation right 100 percent. and so i mean i think having that is a huge advantage for any new facility so if anyone who's looking to build or retrofit a facility i think i mean that type of technology is essential to have i expect it where it doesn't exist like we go to the hotel and i walk in i have to go check in i'm like why i already gave you my card my information i had to reserve it why do i have to walk up here and check in we all know it you have the room i are you have my card i i don't understand this why are we going through this process i have the email I should have gotten my room and I should just walk up to the room. Right. Right. My, like my, my phone has Bluetooth and I should be able to open my door. A hundred percent. It like blows my mind that I have to go walk up and go through this whole process, stand in line. And I'm like, just walk up there. And they're like, Oh, you're the person. I'm like, yeah, you have my information, my card. It's all right here. Like, why are we, why are we going through this? So it just shows how things quickly things change where so I expect uh, it and it doesn't even exist. Building some hotels. That's right. A little diversification. All we got to do is add about 700 bathrooms and then we'll have a yeah. hotel. Room. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. We, we already have a yeah, Times Hotels room, unfortunately, uh, trying to avoid that. But um, so one thing I wanted to talk to you about, uh, you are in um a family business a huge portion of our audience is i i actually ran a poll and it was i think i had it was well over three thousand people and out of the poll i asked three questions i said um who's in a family business who wants to work with family um and then who doesn't it was less than 20 percent of everyone so over 3000 i don't think it was quite 4000 but it was almost there so 3800 people right less than 20% said they didn't the other one said they either did or they wanted to okay and i thought that you know that was so 80% feedback. said i would want to work for a family business or i, or, or I do yes okay. okay and what are your thoughts on that because i know that our 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 listener base a lot of them are in that position because Real estate is, um, it, it, we, we often say it's a team sport. Yeah. So you're either working, you're working with somebody. And when people get started, it's almost always friends and family, right? Yeah. I need money. We need to do this. I need people to trust me. Well, hey, your investors are your friends and family, right? Exactly. That, that's, that's, that's where your first investments come from. Always. Yeah. Uh, I, w- I would say that, yeah, real estate kind of lends itself to the whole friends and family dynamic. Um, you know, obviously for me, I feel very fortunate to come from a real estate family to have that opportunity. And, and I would say to anyone out there who has um, family that's in the business, you know, I mean, you should embrace that. And, uh, 
you know, if, if storage is something that you're looking at doing, maybe talk to your friends and family about doing that, you know, making an investment, even if it's not building a facility, maybe it's just making an investment, you know, yeah. I mean, there's great investments out there. I mean, I know AJ has some and, you know, we, we do the same thing where we will syndicate deals, you know, and, and allow people to come in as limited partners um, and be able to build some wealth, you know, yeah. so that, that's a good way to start. But, um, you know, certainly real estate, you know, uh, lends itself to that. And, you know, if you have if you if you're in that type of family, why wouldn't you want to why wouldn't you want to, uh, yeah. you know, go after that? So pros, cons and what in, in, is you you've been doing this a long time. You've worked mm -hmm. with family for a long time. Right. I've worked with my dad for now. I mean, we're like 20 years. Yeah. I love it. It's like you've worked with your dad longer than I have, actually. I mean, so twenty years with you and your dad. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, almost. So, I think it's a year out. So, and you were doing yeah. it insurance. Insurance prior. That, right. Yeah. 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 So, so for me, I mean, I, I grew up around the whole uh, you know, home building industry, and you know, yeah, I worked for my dad. Worked for my dad. Uh, you know, cleaning up sites and shoveling dirt around when I was you know sixteen years old. That was fun, but um, you know, I had to go do my own thing, and as, as you know. A lot of people probably do, and I, I did my own thing. And I, just side story here, I actually I I came to my dad at one point and said, you know, I'm tired of doing software because that's what I originally did. I said, uh, how can I get into the family business? I want to do real estate. Yeah. He said, well, you probably need to get a job and learn learn something. So I said, okay, that's fair. And he said, I said, what should I do? He said, well, you could be a you could be a broker and I'm just, I'm not really a sales guy or yeah. you, could, you could be an appraiser. I was like, oh, I could do that. So I went and became a commercial real estate appraiser and I did that for several years and just kind of as luck would have it serendipity, uh, the guy that I worked for was a s specialized in self storage. Oh, and, wow. and so this is one of the ways that I really, <laughs> it's crazy. yeah, it is crazy. It's one of the ways that I really kind of learned, Oh, self storage is really good. You know? So, cause yeah. I, I probably appraised or was a part of a, like a hundred appraisals of self storage, you know. Ah. From, for, for so like, that's how you got into. It. You saw behind the curtain. I saw behind the curtain. I like that. Right? So I, I learned how to value it, and so so when I got into the family business, I said, you know, hey, this is something I think we should do. After I had after I had you know cut my teeth. Yeah. So, so um, just side story, but that that yeah. was kind of a, a big part of it right there. I love that, and yeah. you know when it's funny you mentioned that too because like same thing. Thus, I was doing my own thing which was funny enough i was in insurance so i ended up going for next but i was like you're literally with my competition like we we're doing the same thing you're just doing it with somebody else here okay let's get together let's do it together i'm like well yeah of course you know it was just how it worked out um but what are when, when you look at it you know working with family under any circumstance period right i don't care what the partnership is i don't care what the dynamics are what it is what would be your advice to someone that's going into it so all right we're going to come together like my family did or not my family excuse me me and my dad were the only ones who worked together um but uh how do you what would your advice be to make sure that it works out well and that it doesn't cause problems that's a really hard question it's a really hard <laughs> that's why i asked no, yep. no pressure man. Yep. uh you know i i'll, I'll try my best yeah. you know i mean first of all you have to you have to want to. You have to like your family. Yes. Right. You yeah. have. You have to like to, either your dad or your mom, or your your uncle, yes. or your aunt. Who, I mean, whoever it's going to be in your family, you gotta you gotta want to work with them. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and I, I'll be quite honest with you. I don't think I could have done it when I was in my twenties. You know. Yeah. I mean, I, maybe not even 
my early 30s. It took yeah. me until maybe I was 35 to 40 years old to be at that point where it's like, okay, I could do this. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's just, that's just the way it was. So for, for any person that could be different, you know? Yeah. So you, you have to want to work with them. Um, but I think, you know, a state, it's important maybe to get a third party involved, you know, talk to some kind of uh, estate planning uh, consultants, you know, yeah. uh, who can help you like, okay, what really do, do, do a one-year plan, do a two-year plan, do a five-year plan. You know, we, we, we do this, we get together every year. We have a, basically a family business slash corporate retreat where we come together and talk about, okay, what's, what have we done? You know, what have we done the last year? Uh, what do we want to do this year? What do we want to do in five years? So, so having those types of plans, you know, puts everyone's expectations in check. And, yeah. So I think it's really important to understand what what your goal is. What's yeah. your goal? Because if you don't really know what that is, you know, you they could just fail, crash and burn in a year. Because yeah. if you don't have a, a common aligned goal, so it's, it's maybe it's kind of like that. having any business partner. You need to yeah. align your interests. Yeah. Make sure that you're in, within that family. Everyone's interests are aligned. No, I. But I think even more so than because. You know, there's a lot more obviously dynamics that can come into play, obviously. both good and bad. So like one of the good things about it is generally speaking, the overall goal and time frame is that you're trying to help your family and those around you, right? So that's a good, easy one where it's like, well, since we're family, if your partner that is not part of the family, his family gets in trouble or whatnot, and then he wants to sell the business off, you're not aligned. And you're like, what are you talking about? I don't want, but when it's family, you're kind of all aligned with a lot of those issues. Now, the bad things is you're bringing in things that, that didn't, but that happens very differently. And I love what you said about alignment of the goal, which could be very, very different. I was like, I won't ever work with a family business. And even when me and my dad worked together, I'm like, we're not a family business. And I meant that from the standpoint of we're family, but this isn't a family business. And for me, I don't know why that was just a thing for me. I was like, I don't work for my brothers and sisters. I don't work this. Like we're starting up company to do it. Now that is totally different than lots of other people. But what was important was that we came to understand, right? If we're going to start up a company and everything, how it's going to work with family dynamics and where our goals were aligned. And because we have those conversations, like you're saying, and I love what you're talking about the retreats, it doesn't matter what the goal is. It doesn't matter what the dynamics, as long as you're aligned. And so many people go into it and they never have those conversations. They just jump into it with family. They're not aligned. And then that magnifies those problems. Well, and then defining those expectations to accomplish said goals. Like, I think the expectations portion is kind of the, the other aspect to that. Yes, 100%. It's, it's just like anything in, in uh, business, really. I mean, um, it's, it's good to have a plan. Right. I mean, I, yeah. I, I think I think a lot of people jump into a venture or I want to get in a deal so bad. Yes. But they forget to have a plan. Yes. Right? It's like, well, are we going to hold this for a year? Are we going to hold it for five years? Let's just get it done. Right. But, yeah. and, and so many people, it's like they're just so hungry to do something. And that's fine. But, you know, planning is important. And so so I think having that plan and for a family business, maybe more so because you want to make sure it's like, hey, what's our end goal? Oh, I thought we were going to sell this next year. No, no, I thought we were holding it for 20 years. You know, it's like, well, if you didn't have that conversation, then you're really screwed. Yes. Right? I mean, so so that's it's so important to have just business planning. It's just it's just part of the process. And for a family business, I'm, it's just probably magnified. Magnified. I, yeah, I, I completely agree. And I also find that you're right. Not only do people uh, jump into it, but people avoid the hard conversations. 
So where I think that was something that I, I think on our part, we always did really good. I, I talk a lot about you start with the divorce. So the conversation, every the plan should start with the plan failing. Sure. When you start out with the plan failing, you're throwing everything out on the table. And then from there, we can figure out, okay, if it all fails, this is how we make sure we, you know, all the things happen. Everything like, okay, now let's get to the fun stuff. Now, what, how do we want to execute? How do we want to grow everything else? We've already gotten the bad stuff out of the way. We know how it'll play out, what will happen, and we treat it as inevitability. So you die, I die, we go separate ways, whatever it may be, right? There has to be a plan to do that. So when it comes time, it's not this huge problem or whatnot. And then from there, you move on to all the fun stuff. Let's get the deal. Let's write yeah. on. But most people, they don't ever even address it because they're avoiding the real questions, the the real things, because it's confront. They may say think it's confrontation. No one likes to talk about that stuff. Nobody does, right? But but I mean, it's it's not any different than establishing a, a trust, right? It's like you got you got to have the hard conversations. Hey, what happens in a worst case scenario? But for yeah. for for a business. It's maybe more important. You're talking about yes. more is at stake, larger amounts of money, more people are affected, right? So, so I mean, you got to have those. I, I totally agree with what you said. You got to have those hard conversations up front. Let's talk about worst case scenarios. You know, let's talk about you know contingency plans. You know, it's yeah. like we, we can't just assume that the market is going to be great yeah. forever, and, and and we know it's not because what right now you know we're looking at a market that you know who knows what's going to happen. You know, we could. We could it, it could all come back. It could all get rushed down. Yep. You know, we we just don't know, and, and that's how real estate is. And so you, you can never really time the market. Uh, and so having those contingency plans and having those hard conversations early, especially in a family business, I think is very important. Remember, guys, this is only part one of two of a fantastic discussion between Ryan, AJ, and Connor. Another review by OBC. Finally, a podcast with real, authentic insight. Been listening for a while to get educated and now in the process of purchasing my first property. The info AJ provides is golden. Thanks, AJ and team. You are so welcome, OBC, and thank you for listening to the podcast and for your support and your review. And for us here at Self Storage Income, we love reading your guys' feedback and the different things that you have been able to get out of this podcast and what you're now doing with that knowledge. There's a lot of different aspects of self-storage that are just not considered. That's why we provide the education. That's why we invite guests on with years and years of experience. Don't forget to go check out Ryan's company, The Claremont Companies. I'll put a link in the show notes. Don't forget to tune in next week, and we will see you then.